Welcome to iHope. We're here to bring encouragement and comfort from the Bible so that you can have a more hope-filled life. We are so glad you joined us here today, and we invite you to embark on this journey of discovery of the power of God's Word and how it can shape our lives each day. So listen in and join us as we explore how the Bible can provide hope and direction in our lives. Hey everybody, my name is Charlie Schaefer. I am the church planning pastor of Capernaum Baptist Church. And uh, although I I work on staff at Open Door, I serve during the services, and you'll see me playing the piano most weeks. Uh, My main purpose in life is to church plan. So I ask for your prayers over these next few weeks. And uh, just be praying for our church ministry, be praying for the church plant that's going on, for God to give us leadership, for God to give us a location is our next biggest need. And uh, which, by the way, if you don't know what that is, it's going to be enhancement. So we've been doing Bible studies for the last few years, and now we're really trying to eclipse that to really grow, trying to run a VBS this summer, hopefully, and to get into a permanent location so that we can launch officially this fall. So be praying about that. Be praying for me and the others who've been serving, and uh, pray that God would provide what we need. But today, you're not here to hear about that. You're here to learn about God's Word. And the I Hope podcast is, as the name suggests, all about hope. And I'm about to take you to one of the perhaps darkest books of the entire Bible. This is down a cavern that is full of shadows, bats, and spiders. The descriptions that Jeremiah, the author, is going to write in about Israel at this point are going to be morbid and grotesque. Um, That is to say that some of these are going to be a little bit more PG-13, so if you are listening with younger listeners, please use um, parental discretion. Some of the words that are chosen here in Jeremiah's book in, in Ecclesiastes, excuse me, in Lamentations, are going to be vivid, and the pictures that he paints for us are not at all intended to be unclear. We today are going to break down chapter 1, and that's really going to launch us and set us up for the rest of the book, which we're going to discover over the next few months, or the next few weeks of May. Lamentations 1 is, as any good story, going to set up the rest of the story. Now, the beginning of this story, this narrative arc, which we will see through this book, does not actually begin in Lamentations. It begins actually back in Jeremiah, which my dad, he covered uh, in April. So if you want to understand where Lamentations is coming from, you're going to need to go back to Jeremiah. Understand that Jeremiah is really prophetic. It is looking forward. He's saying bad things are coming. Well, in Lamentations, he's saying bad things came. And now here's what you get. Israel, you've been apostate from God, you've rejected him, and now this is what you've earned. Here is your place, here's your lot in life. So, of course, destruction has come, and this is not a good thing, this is a sad thing, this is, in most cases, a morbid thing. You're going to see some word pictures used throughout the book that do not describe at all success. You're going to smell smells and hear sounds and taste flavors and and see sights through the imagery that Jeremiah paints for us that are those of war. They create a picture and they drop us in the middle of a scenario that is dark and painful and filled with destruction. The problem with that, and I'm sure maybe you've thought, if we're on I Hope, the podcast, how does destruction and demise have anything to do with hope? 
And then secondarily, how does Jeremiah's time thousands of years ago have anything to do with my hope today? Well, you know as well as I do that the Bible is timeless and that truths that were true to Jeremiah about God are still true today. The God that we serve is not one who's left us. He's one who has plans for us, as we looked at last week, and he's one who has an identity that he has created for his servants. We are predestined to the image of Christ. And so you and I who are saved, we serve the same God of Jeremiah. We just serve in different circumstances. And I think what you're going to find throughout this book is not the dissimilarity between Jeremiah's time and ours, but sadly the similarity. He lived in a time where the world rejected God, where the universe he lived in, where the people of his area did not hearken to what the the God of creation mandated. They rejected him. They turned away from Moses' law and from the, the traditions that they were to follow, the worship, and most importantly, the worship that they were to do. So because of that, God, of course, is going to judge them, and he's going to create for them a world which is uninhabitable. It's going to be taken over. Their normal world in Israel and in Judea are going to be taken over by the Babylonians, and you know that later on they would be taken over by the Medes and Persians together. And so that's where we get the story of Esther. And then after that, we're going to get the story of uh, Ezra, and then in between, I believe it's chapter 7 and 8, you get the story of Nehemiah, the rebuilding of the, the temple, rebuilding of the walls, and then the reestablishment of the Jewish way of life. They're called Jews, if you didn't know, because they reestablished in Judea. And so the people of Judea are called Jews, and so that's where today that name shift came from. Back in the days of, of Jeremiah, and maybe even further back, so the days of the Hebrew people, that name Hebrew uh, referenced all of the Israelites, and those were interchangeable terms, Hebrew and Israelite, but then eventually they came to be known as the Jews. And today, Jeremiah is going to be ministering to the Jews. He's talking to those people of Judea who used to live there but now do not. He's crying out to a, an empty and barren land that used to be inhabited with the songs of praise to our God that used to be filled with children running through the streets. They used to have mothers and fathers uh, weaning their children, growing them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, that used to be home to David and to Solomon and to the other great wise men of Israel, but now are just wastelands. Now Jeremiah speaks to nothing. He speaks still, and he speaks under the inspiration of God, but he cries out to nothing. So listen to the words that he says in Lamentations 1, which, just forewarning, um, again, some of these terms and descriptions will be PG-13, so you do want to use a little bit of caution with that. And then secondarily, uh, today is going to be more Bible-heavy. We're going to go through this whole chapter. I'm going to break down just a few of the key pieces. I'm not going to, though, break down every single word. So we're not going to go a verse and pause and just one phrase and explain. So that said, I want you to be focusing on paying the attention. And by pay, I mean to give in expectation of a result, a reward in the end. If you pay the attention now, I promise the reward that you will receive is going to be a greater understanding of hope in one of the darkest and most dismal books and opening chapters that the Bible has to offer. So here it is, Lamentations 1, verse 1. 
How doth the city sit solitary that was full of people? How is she become as a widow? She that was great among the nations and princes among the provinces, how is she become tributary? She weepeth sore in the night, and her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she hath none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They are become her enemies. Judah is gone into captivity because of affliction and because of great servitude. She dwelleth among the heathen. She findeth no rest. All her persecutors overtook her between the straits. The ways of Zion, or of Jerusalem, or of more particularly the mountain, the temple mount, the ways of that temple mount of Zion do mourn, verse 4, because none come to the solemn feasts. All her gates are desolate, her priests sigh, her virgins are afflicted, uh, her young women, that is, and she is in bitterness. Verse 5 says, Her adversaries are the chief, her enemies prosper, for the Lord hath afflicted her. For the multitude of her, of her transgressions, her children are gone into captivity before the enemy. Now that's kind of a growing statement. It's, it starts off, For the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her, multitude of her transgressions. Why did God allow affliction on Israel, and particularly Jerusalem in this context? Because she had sinned against God. And then there's a little colon there after the word transgressions, there are sins, and it builds on that thought, her children are gone into captivity before the enemy. They're led about by some stranger who doesn't even worship God. Verse 6 says, And from the daughter of Zion, all her beauties departed. Her princes are become like hearts or, or deer that find no pasture, and they're gone without strength before the pursuer. It's like a hunting party pursuing after a deer, and now that deer runs out of energy because there's too many in the hunting party. Well, of course, the deer falls prey. Verse 7 says, Jerusalem remembered in the days of her affliction and of her, of her miseries all her pleasant things that she had in the days of old, when her people fell into the hand of the enemy and none did help her. The adversaries saw her and did mock at her Sabbaths. Verse 8, Jerusalem hath grievously sinned, Therefore, she is removed. All that honored her despise her, because they have seen her nakedness. Yea, she sigheth and turneth backwards. Verse 9, her filthiness is in her skirts. She remember not her last end. That, that refers to that time of month. Her filthiness is in her skirts. This is a word picture talking about, remember back at the beginning of the chapter, it describes Jerusalem as a widow. Now this widow is not only desolate, her friends have turned against her, everything is anti-Jerusalem, even the people that she thought were going to help her did not. Now they make fun of her, they laugh at her, and now on top of all of that, she has filthiness in her skirts. It says she remembered not her last end, she didn't remember the last, last day of her cycle. Therefore she came down wonderfully, wonderfully not meaning in the positive sense, but it's so magnificent, so grand is this, this um, miscalculation of her next cycle that it is wondrous. People wonder at how, how could you mess up that bad? She had no comforter. O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy hath magnified himself. Verse 10. The adversary hath spread out his hand upon all her pleasant things. Now this in the city context, refers to, to the actual riches of Jerusalem. 
in the widow metaphor that Jeremiah uses, this is referring to someone coming in and ravaging this poor widow, um, using her, abusing her, touching her pleasant things. For she hath seen that the heathen entered into her sanctuary. Now, in in this um, more explicit sense, the sanctuary would refer to a private part that is only to be for some people, for the husband. But remember, she's a widow. There is none here. No one should be entering into the sanctuary, and yet the city is now like a woman who is being raped. It says at the end, Whom thou dost command that they should not enter into thy congregation. Verse 11, All her people sigh. They seek bread, and they have given their pleasant things for meat to relieve the soul. See, O Lord, and consider, for I am become vile. Verse 12, Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? Now this is in the eyes of the widow, addressing all of the men and women just walking past her. Behold, and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow, which is done unto me, wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me in the day of his fierce anger. From above he hath set fire into my bones. There is a, a fever going on, and it prevaileth against them. He hath spread a net from my feet. He hath turned me back, and he hath made me desolate and faint all the day. The idea here is like a heat stroke. She's got a fever, this widow, or Jerusalem. She has a, a, a fire in her bones that prevails against the bones. That means she's irreparably sick. There's a net spread for my feet. And that is like, uh, like back to that hunting picture, they would spread a net and then they would drag the deer back with them or, or a bird or something like that. The idea here is she's been dragged back, back to where that captivity belongs. He hath made me desolate and faint all the day. Verse 14, the yoke of my transgression is bound by his hand. They are wreathed and come up upon my neck. He hath made my strength to fail for the Lord hath delivered me into their hands, from whom I am not able to rise up. The Lord hath trodden underfoot all my mighty men in the midst of me. He hath called an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord hath trodden the virgin, the daughter of Judah, as in a winepress. For these things I weep. Mine eye, mine eye runneth down with water, because the comforter that should relieve my soul is far from me. My children are desolate, because the enemy prevailed. Zion spreadeth forth her hands. She's, she's looking around with her hands facing up, palms to the sky. And there is none to comfort her. The Lord hath commanded concerning Jacob, or all of Israel, that his adversaries should be round about him. Jerusalem is as a menstruous woman among them. Another literal translation would say a filthy thing. Verse 18, the Lord is righteous. Wait, hang on. So we're going from all this destruction and all this sorrow and anger and these vivid pictures of filth and rejection, and then now the Lord is righteous. For I have rebelled against his commandment. Hmm. Here I pray you all people and behold my sorrow. My virgins and my young men are gone into captivity. Verse 19, I called for my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and mine elders gave up the ghost in the city while they sought their meat to relieve their souls. Verse 20, Behold, O Lord, for I am in distress. My bowels are troubled. My, my heart is turned within me, for I have grievously rebelled. Abroad the sword bereaveth or, or steals away. At home there is as death. They have heard that I sigh. There is none to comfort me. 
All mine enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad, for thou hast done it. Thou wilt bring that day that thou hast called, and they shall be like unto me. Hmm. Let their wickedness come before thee, and do unto them as thou hast done unto me. For all my transgressions, for my sighs are many, and my heart is faint. And that concludes the first chapter. And if you're wondering where on earth the hope is, it is there. It's just cloaked underneath a heavy burden. Now, if somebody came in and took over America, particularly your area of America, and people were driven from homes and your family was slaughtered and the greatest men among the area were killed and there was just no hope for anyone left, of course, you would probably be a little bit sorrowful as well. The problem was Jeremiah wasn't just a little sorrowful. He was greatly sorrowing. He was he was beyond repair. The hope comes in that all of this destruction is not because God is bad, but because God is good. In order for Israel to become what God had made for her and designed for her to become, they had to learn to follow him. So sometimes in our lives, we construct a world where God has no actual influence, and we, he allows us to do that, but at the same time, we earn our own consequences. Much as a child can choose to disobey his or her parents, so the child chooses his consequences. Israel had done the same. And because of this, now Jeremiah is not, he's not lamenting the fact that Israel had been destroyed as much as, okay, he is lamenting that, but not as much as he is lamenting the fact that they turned away from God. Where's the hope? Well, if turning away from God means destruction, then turning towards God means repair. And sometimes we live in a world where, as I said, we construct our own little world without God's influence, and the issue becomes the destruction that we cause for ourselves. Now, obviously there are times where the world just does not function the right way and where sickness happens and where because we live in a fallen state, we have um, unplanned circumstances that are not results of sin. But oftentimes, and probably um, an understated amount of times, we create for ourselves an environment that is the product of being outside of God's will. The hope is that instead of being outside of God's will and being destroyed or having things not work, if we get back inside God's will, what do you think is going to happen? Life gets filled with God again. The sorrow that we feel is replaced with joy in many times. The unrest that we have is replaced with peace. And at the end of the day, even if not all of that happens here on earth, at the end of time, there is an eternal fulfillment which gives us this eternal joy and this eternal peace and this eternality in the presence of God. And that is the hope. The hope is not that my circumstances are bad or good. That's such a wrong place to find hope. If your circumstances determine how hopeful you are, then you need to erase that programming in your head and relearn. Spend time focusing your mind on what true hope is, and that is in God. It is in his plan. It is in his will for your life. And no matter who opposes you, no matter who even overtakes you, 
Your hope is not found in the circumstances. It is found in the one who can craft circumstances. So where's the hope? It's in God. And it's in the fact that he can repair even the worst, the most desolate of places. And, you know, if you zoom out from Lamentations for just a second, and you get back to the big historical narrative of what happened, Israel was rebuilt. Where do you think Jesus came from? He was, he was a Jew. He was born in Israel, in northern Israel. And so even though Jeremiah was sad about a circumstance in the moment, at the end of the day, it was restored. And really, at the very end of the day, New Israel, New Jerusalem is going to be restored in an even more glorious way. So in eternity, that lament has no reason. The sadness of the destruction of Jerusalem doesn't matter because it was rebuilt, and then it will be rebuilt again even better than any human could redo because God designed it. And so I think if we just focus on the fact that God has a plan instead of our circumstances, suddenly hope happens. Two key takeaways, and then we're done. Number one, sorrow is real. Anyone who tries to tell you differently doesn't have a realistic perspective on life. And sorrow is not bad. God did not give us emotions so that we can avoid emotions. If you feel sad about something, feel sad. Doesn't mean to live in it, doesn't mean to let it define you, but it does mean that you feel it. Now, feeling does not choose. If I am sad, that does not mean I have to choose the actions of a sad person. It also doesn't mean I have to choose the actions of a happy person either. And to put pressure on yourself one way or another is not really biblical. I don't don't remember ever seeing that where Christians are always happy. But I do know that Christians can always be peaceful. And that brings me to my second point. Although sadness is real, so is hope. You can be as sad as you want. You can be in the dumps as much as you want. But hope is what actually matters. Why? because it is from God. I hope that this is helpful to you. I hope that this might reframe some perspectives for some people. And I hope that this study that we're about to finish in the next few weeks is going to be practical to you. Um, I want to provide as much value as I can, which by the way, that's why I know today is a little bit longer. It's closer to 22 minutes right now. So uh, if this is helpful to you, then I ask that you would share this with somebody. Um, give it a review on any of your podcasting platforms. And I can't wait to talk with you next week. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you've been encouraged by I Hope, why not share it with a friend or leave us a review? Until next week, God bless.